0: Nothing is expensive if you've got the money. If, if I only have $50,000, I'm trying to buy a of $1 million property, of course. You know, it, that's expensive for me, but for someone who has $100 million, $1 million is nothing. Hey!
1: This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we'll continue the conversation with buyer's agent Tommy Sagario to talk about the variety of investing strategies he uses from buy and hold to renovations, while learning and growth is an important part of his success and the amazing stories and results he's seen along the way. Continuing from a previous episode to talk about the first few properties he purchased, Sagario delves into the story behind his third property and whether he resides in it or rents it out.
0: The third one is, um, is a house that we purchased me and my parents um, which they are living in so I've, I've got my stake as well in that property um, but currently my parents live there.
1: With a the changing market and more properties to his name, Sagario shares the strategy he uses when it comes to investing.
0: My IT background has allowed me to do to, to to sort of extract a lot of information from. I mean, RP data is just data, right? It's it's how we then um, make that into useful information. So one of the information that I gathered from from doing my analysis was, um, you know, is is there like in terms of of growth? Um, you know, people keep talking about like good suburbs, bad suburbs, but then. From my analysis, what has allowed me to, to see is there is no such thing called good suburbs or bad suburbs or u- units versus apartments versus houses. I mean, everything in in 50 if you can hold 15 years plus, you will always be in profit, property. Right? The question is, can you hold that long? That that has always been my my rule of game is just, can I hold that long? So my my strategy, obviously, if it's for buy and hold, um, it has to be positive cash flow on paper. Um, so one of the things that I looked at was um, rental yield has to be 5% or more at the very least. Um, and and, and that's, that's what I've applied with these two properties that I've purchased. Um, one of them is just a, a, a standard single dwelling strategy, buy and hold. Um, I think I bought the land for 190, um, total build about 380 and I get, at the moment it's, it's rented at 410 and I rent it all by myself so I, I, I didn't use a property manager. And i managed to secure a tenant who can rent that for for at least one and a half years. So I know during that period it will be yeah it will be it, it, it's a good five and a half percent rental yield return, um, and and yeah and, and I've got a, a long stable tenant. Um, so least that, that that allows me to be you know that that, that is positive cash flow. And the second one I was purchasing was a dual occupancy property, um, which is you know you can build two properties all in one title. Uh, one land, one, one title and, um, and I can land them and that one is actually positive gearing. It's not just cash flow because cash flow, um, my understanding is cash flow is something that you receive after your tax return so it might be negative and then you get your tax return and it, it becomes your positive, right? But this second one is positive gearing in the sense that the rent itself already covers for the running costs.
1: But how exactly did Cegaria manage to find a property that would not only provide him with a stable income? But would be able to sustain itself through rental costs.
0: I look for areas where rental yield is high. Um, so I look at the, the, the comparison between property price and the rental income. Um, if if I can find a suburb where you know generally property median price is sort of can can give you some, that sort of five percent rental yield, then that then that's how I filter down the areas, right? So that that's that's number one, and number two is obviously. Um, I have to make sure as well that the area is not just a dodgy area, right, Um, but it's it's an area that has growth close to amenities, um, close to work and jobs, um, close to transport. So that's how I try to search for those opportunities.
1: Purchasing properties mainly in Perth, Sagaria shares whether the abundance of these types of properties have dwindled or not.
0: You'll be surprised there's there's a lot of them. Uh, there is another one. Yeah, there's another one. Let me tell you about this one. Um, so this one, uh, it was presented to me because the seller was almost possessed by the bank, right? Um, and, and this is just just a really good example. is because at the moment, uh, the property is rented by an investment company that pays you about four fifty bucks a week, right? The property itself—it's it, a villa, it's a brand new villa—which um, you can actually purchase for about three forty. So, as you can imagine, four fifty with 340 there's forty—that's almost—that's maybe a seven percent return already. And not you said, comparable market analysis for a villa in the area actually um, sold sold for four seventeen to four thirty k. So, as you can imagine, between three forty and four thirty k, that's already. An instant equity so you've got you've got plenty of opportunities like that at the moment in, in Perth if, if you, yeah if you know how, where to find them
1: with an almost balanced portfolio consisting of positive cash flow properties and otherwise Sagara explains whether he's bringing this portfolio back to neutral setting or not
0: I think um, I've, I've had enough um, buy and hold for now um, the next one that I would like to buy is more like a flip um, something that I can craft equity quicker. Um, faster more liquid um, because I've actually bought a couple for my clients um, that yeah, that, that have helped them doing that but I haven't bought one for myself so maybe for the next one it will be something that, that
1: I can flip. Expanding on the idea of flipping houses, Sigaria walks us through the process he goes through when renovating while giving us an example of a flip he's done for clients in the past.
0: I've bought two. Uh, the first for, for clients, um, two examples. Uh, the first one is $415,000, $415,000, a four-by-one property. Old, really old property, 1950s, 1960s, something like that. But it is located in the middle-up suburb, right? $415,000 for four-by-one. I know four-by-two in that area can sell as high as $800,000. Yeah, so as you can imagine, four fifteen. Um, plus purchase cost, 5% cent duty and everything. And then you at let's say you do 100K renovation, right? Major renovation, 100K. So make it 550. And then after that, you can sell it potentially. So 550, 100K renovation, it, it includes to add another bathroom. So make it 4 by 2. And now you have a potential of selling it at $800,000. So that's just an example.
1: Having explained such a clever way to increase the profit from a potential property, Sagari explains why that specific property was comparatively cheap compared to other investments.
0: The owner, um, the mum who used to live there, um, is now falling sick. So um, I think it's it's now under the what do you call the the executor?
1: Oh, okay. So it's like a uh,
0: a real executor,
1: like mortgagee for sale or something like that.
0: Not even mortgage. I think it's 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 um, her daughter um, just wanting that to and then and then just split the money to to pay for the medical bill. So that's why it. it they, they, they were selling it for like pretty cheap. I think when, when I was there, um, for a home open, there were like good 13 groups maybe coming because we know it, it's a, it's a, it's a steal. It's just because I think a lot of people were afraid of purchasing it because they were looking at the property from, from the hindsight. It's like, oh, it's a lot of work and stuff. But, but how I see it is because, okay, that's fine. It, 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 it needs work, but let's say we put in 100k worth of work in there. It's still, it's still, it's going to be bringing you profit. Yeah, huge profit there.
1: With an the increased value and in equity on that particular property, Sagara spills his thoughts on whether keeping that property to buy another one or selling it straight away would be a financially beneficial move.
0: Well, it's it's up to the um it's up to the investor. Um, I think if you if you try to get equity out of it, bank will only give you eighty percent of the valuation, right? So let's say let's say that property is worth eight hundred thousand dollars, you're gonna get six forty minus the remaining mortgage. So you're not getting gonna get as much as if you would have sold it. Having said that though, I mean my client is happy with the area, he might be considering to live in that property, so depends depends on what he wants to do. Yeah.
1: Moving on to other property types. Sigaros shares whether developments or subdivisions are investment types he plans on carrying out in Perth.
0: This is a challenge with something. I mean a lot of investors they just oh I want to be a property developer because they reckon that's where the money is. Well not so much from, from how I've seen it so far is because as soon as the seller recognizes his property can be certified, it bumps up the price by like fifty hundred K, right? So because of that if you're the investor buying that property, you're not gonna make many money. Even if you try to flip because remember when you try to let's say you want to build on on that land. It, it's going to cost you close to two hundred thousand dollars per per building. So the question is now, you know, if if they bump up the price by hundred k, you you're losing hundred k straight away, but then and there, and um, and the second question is the current market: can you actually sell that property easily? Um, because if if you have to keep paying for like holding costs, yeah, I've I've been approached by a few developers who were just like losing a lot of money because they they just failed to. To calculate the holding costs, they think, oh, you know, I, might just, I can just sell this. Yes, on paper, if you can sell it, you can make money. But what if you can't sell it for like, I mean, some of them can't even sell for more than two years. I'm not even kidding. So they can't even offload the property for like more than two years and it's just holding costs, holding costs, holding costs.
1: On top of holding costs, lengthening building timelines, and a potentially fluid market, Cigario shares that there's a lot to take into consideration when it comes to development
0: what I see as well is, is the selling price, right? It, this is the dilemma. If you buy, if if you want to be able to afford development, you have to buy in like a so you know low to medium sort of suburbs, right? Because price is still pretty cheap, like 400, 300, k But the selling price is also low. You know, if you build a duplex, each duplex can probably sell about 250, 300K. There is no money to be made there, right? I think for development, if you want to make money, you have to do it in like a blue chip suburbs because the, the building cost might be the same, but the selling cost is way higher. Um, but then it will take you a lot more um, equity as well. And I've spoken to a lot of real estate agents who are selling in the blue chip areas. Even them, in the current market, it's, it's harder to find a buyer because as you can appreciate it, we're talking about a million dollars of property. Not many people have that much money um, to spend. So yeah, yeah, it, that, that's, that has always been the... The, I guess, the challenge in in development. Um, I would, me personally, I think now that I've bought these two renovation properties, I, I think I would rather do that instead because it's it's lesser capital, more, you know, the same, if not more return.
1: Speaking of the funds needed for investments, Sagara talks a little bit about the different clients he deals with.
0: i got, I think I've got a couple um, owner-occupiers, one for some buyers, um, so out of out of the the ten that I've purchased, um, I think three three of them were own occupiers. The rest were investors.
1: So and how he uses his IT background and access to RP data to complement his career as a buys agent.
0: But RP data is just data. It's it's a collection of it's a database of data since I don't know 1970, 1990 or something like that, right? Um, but then it's up to you. You have to first know what you want to get out of it, and then from the uh, me, I've, I've got the ID background, then because RP Data has this thing called API, which you can integrate with. So I can I can integrate my source code and connect to their API, right? And then I can just literally do whatever I want. I mean, in the API, you can you can do a suburb search, for example. So let's say, for example, I want to be able to show me the median price of a suburb from 2012 to 2019, right? And then and then I can then from 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 that information, I can then make a judgment. Okay, is is this suburb in in a downtrend market or it's on an on uptrend market? Um, what about population and and things like that? I mean, RP Data has all that library available for you to connect to. So that's how I do it.
1: Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Tommy Sagara's investing strategies and how he uses his IT skills when looking for property.
0: It's more than just, you've got the analysis skill, yes, um, that's looking at, at the growth and everything, but then you still have to have that second skill set, i.e. finding the actual deal itself.
1: Why he stays wary of over-educating himself in property.
0: Nothing anything that is too much is not good. If, imagine if I've got too much knowledge on property, it, it might make me a very, I guess, what do you call, critical and very cautious.
1: And much more coming up next. I'm Tyrone Sharp and you're listening to Property Investory. Despite his search results allowing him to determine whether to buy in particular suburbs or not, Segario adds that the results he gains isn't actually always applicable to the investment strategy he wants to use.
0: I think for me, um, again, when when it comes to buying, because I've got a lot of a lot of strategies to buy, not just buy and hold. I mean, for buy and hold, yes, you can look at cyber profile and the growth and everything, but something like renovation, it's it's a second skill set. What I call of finding a deal, right? It's more than just, you've got the analysis skill, yes, um, that's looking at at the the growth and everything, but then you still have to have that second skill set, i.e. finding the actual deal itself, right? A suburb is just a suburb, but you have to be able to find what property in that suburb that you need to buy to give you the the, the best profit. So um, I think something like RP data or, or, or analysis like that can give you the deal. Right. It just gives you the information about the profile of a cyber, but you still have to be able to go to, uh, to realestate.com.au domain and being able to spot a deal. in in, in that area.
1: And how are you finding the deals for yourself and clients as well too? Are you going to the main sources or are you speaking to agents directly? Like do do you get off-market deals regularly, that kind of stuff?
0: I mean so far the off-market deals that I've got, um, they haven't been great to be honest. Um, People are like, oh you know, one of the strengths of a buyer's agent is you you are able to source off-market property deals but off-market property deals, there there is a reason why they become off-market is because the sellers don't want to pay agent fee, right? And because of that, the price, the price is not any cheap. I mean, I look at all these off-market profits. All of them are expensive. They, they are unrealistic. That's why they, they don't want to go to an agent because an agent might, might say, just being honest to them that, you know, you're just unrealistic. And, and that's what I find. That's what I've mean. So, so far, all the deals I've found, i just through realistic.com and, and domain. Um, I think for me is being able to know. The the area every every suburb has its own median price. Let's say I, I look at a particular suburb. I know let's say that suburb median price is five hundred k. And then suddenly I spot a four by two for four hundred fifteen k. Then I know ah that's below market. That's a deal. That's how I do it.
1: Jumping into the mindset side of things, Segara explains what it was that actually drew him to property and pushed him towards investing.
0: The why is um, because I learned from my parents. Um, I, I use again. So far, my strategy has been buy and hold. Um, it's because you know I'm, I'm planning to have. You know, uh, my wife is pregnant at the moment, and and the way I was raised by my family as well is um, you know they they use property as a capital for their children, right? Um, I think Warren Buffett once said um, you know you can sit in under the shade right now because somebody planted a tree a long time ago. So that's 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 my that what has been my mindset is. Um, the properties that I'm buying right now is, is literally just, you know, it's it's for my children's future.
1: Going back to where he first started, Sigar reflects on the things that held him back from initially investing and why the current property atmosphere could also hold others back from investing too.
0: Yeah, I guess mainly capital um, and secondly, it's is just banks at the moment that are really tight. Um, so that's why I think um, you have to f- you know, we have to find uh, like at the moment I've, I've got the skills in property, um, but my parents are not so much, right? So combining, I can, but I can use their money. They've got capital, so they can, we can, we can both invest together. Yeah, so that's that's just an example. Um, but what what I'm finding hard at the moment is obviously, you know, you should, you still have to save to to buy property. And, and even if you have equity, I've got a lot of strong buyers who have tons of equity. We're talking about $300,000, $500,000 uh, equity, but they can't access any of it just because they can't service it. That's how the banks are looking at it at the moment, right? Um, there are two things. Um, it's it's uh, how much money you can borrow and how much money you can service. So a lot of people at the moment are struggling with either one of them. Um, either they don't have the money or they just they, they've got high salary but not much borrowing power. Or they've got a lot of borrowing power but not so much serviceability.
1: So knowledgeable about property now, Sagara shares that a lot of the information he drew from along his journey came in the form of not so much mentors but rather online resources and teachers. I
0: listen to a lot of um in property podcasts and videos and, and the various strategies that people implement. Um, different, I guess, different, I wouldn't say mentors per se because mentors is someone that you, you reach out to every now and then um this is more more of just uh, I guess teachers I would say because I, I listen to them um follow them uh, read about them um various various tyron um yeah like you know from gymphna boholt I think um, you must have heard about her and uh uh property options like mark yeah mark Mark Walton, uh, Michael yardney um and then just, just my parents' friends as well who are who have been like a, a big property developers in Asia and Yeah. Yeah, just people who have been, I guess, successful in their investing journey.
1: When it comes to books, Sigari has educated himself in property, not by following certain authors, but just by reading anything he can get access and keeping up to date with property news.
0: I do read books. Um, I I haven't got a particular author that I'm following again. It's just I, I sometimes I just went to let's say Amazon, Kindle and I just browse through, I just type in property and I, I pretty much just either buy or there are some free ones there and I just keep reading them. <laughs> yeah, or, or if not, it's just property news, um, something like Rewa, for um, wa
1: He adds to this, his take on the problems of over-educating himself when it comes to property and why he keeps his reading list full but not overflowing.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I, I've seen a lot of people... Um, they, they just get, they, they know too much. And I think anything that is too much is not good. If, imagine if I've got too much knowledge on property, it, it might make me a very, I guess, what do you call, critical and very cautious and never buy anything just because I know too much, right? Um, it, it, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's my opinion anyway. So
1: And why the best advice he's received hasn't come from any book or property guru, but rather from
0: the best advice I ever received um, is uh, buy something that you can afford. That has always been uh, – this is what my parents have always t- uh, told me is nothing is expensive if you've got the money, yeah? If if I only have $50,000, I'm trying to buy a $1 million property, of course. You know, it, that's expensive for me, but for someone who has $100 million, $1 million is nothing. So that's what my parents always teach pitch me is buy something that you can afford. And and that that's that's the same case with property. When I say what we can afford, it's more than just how much money we can put in, but it's like cash flow, right? Can can you actually afford that property to hold that to whatever you want to do. Let's say you want to renovate, can you hold, can you take on the risk, um calculated risk, not just stupid risk just because somebody tells you to buy, um, but it's because you've calculated and you know you can afford it. So that's that's probably the best advice I've ever had.
1: On another note, Sagaria also shares with us the personal habit he has that he believes has helped him so far and will help him maintain his success in the future.
0: I never stop learning. I never stop working. Um, I This is what has struck me as well is a lot of people are like, I wish I'm rich so that I can just retire buying a house facing the ocean and I can just sit and relax every single day. And yet, we see someone like Warren Buffett is still working in, you know, and he's 88 years of age, right? So... So I think I think it's it's it's, it's a mentality. Um, I, I reckon if you have a poor person mentality, it's that kind of mentality where you just want to retire and just not doing anything. But I think um, I until I die, I, I want to keep growing. I want to keep learning. Um, I, I believe that I still have a purpose in this earth until I completely gone. So. That that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean you know people are like oh you know I wish I've got a lot of money I I could just go traveling. I I don't enjoy traveling too much. Like after two weeks of traveling, I'm tired and I just want to go back working again.
1: Looking back to the past and knowing what he knows now, Sagara shares the advice he would have given himself ten years ago.
0: I would say to myself, um, get yourself educated. Um, cash flow is still king. Um, nobody can see. Um, nobody has crystal ball to be able to predict capital growth. Um, you know it's coming, but until then, you just have to make sure you can afford the property. So that's what I'm I'm going to tell myself.
1: Going forward five years, Sagara walks us through what he's most excited about in his upcoming property journey.
0: Well, I I, I would like to execute strategies that I haven't executed before. So I think again, I've, I've bought for a client for let's say this renovate and sleep, but I haven't been in that journey myself. But right. um, having said that, I mean that that that, that property is, is all project managed anyway. Um, but I would like to be able to go to just be in so that that's just just be able to execute strategies that I haven't executed. Uh, another one is property options, for example. Um, I would love to be able to to be able to control a property without putting down a single cent. So things like that is is what excites me, and, and that's what I'm going to be doing moving forward.
1: He adds that whether it be development or otherwise, controlling a property is the main goal he's working towards right now.
0: Either way, as long as I can control that property, I can do whatever I want, right? I can renovate it, I can develop it, um, J fees and, and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, because at the moment I think it's um, a lot of people I've talked to so far they are open to the idea, but because you know they haven't done it, they were like, oh, uh, I would rather doing it the, the the old way. So, just trying to break into into that market. Um, is something that really excites me.
1: Having given so much insight in regards to property investing and the like, Segara ends by putting his interesting spin on whether he believes skill, intelligence or luck has been the catalyst for his success. My
0: intelligence is, is it contributes to something that I can control. Um, things like finding a positive cash flow property that's, that's due to my intelligence um, and hard work, obviously, because I, I literally browse thousands of properties almost every day through real estate. So what I did, I just type in, let's say, a suburb with some criteria and it came back with some thousands, you know, results, and I just literally go through one by one and and save them in my database, the one that I think is good. So that's, that's, that's due to my intelligence. But luck, I guess, is something that I can control. Um, things like being able to find a tenant in two weeks' time who would expect that, right? Um, I've got friends who can't find a tenant for like six months. Um, or, or let's say property price. I mean, you know, property goes up and down. No, nobody can control that. Um, so things like that is is is, I guess, luck. I would say um, you can only you can. I mean, let's say you you look at a suburb that is downtrending. You were like, oh, it, it, it's it's a good time to buy, but you never know. Next year it might go down even further, right? So that 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 is where where luck comes comes in.
1: With so much more to share, here's how you can get in contact with Sigario.
0: All my clients came from social media, so as you can imagine, I'm really active in social media. Um, I've got Facebook, I've got LinkedIn, I've got Instagram, um, I've got Twitter, so you can always find me there, um, EC Buyer's agent, that's that's the, the, my business name, or you can go to my website, which is ecbuyer.com.au. You can call me as well, um, 0404-457-754, or you can email me, again, all the details are in my website.
1: Thank you to Tommy Sagaria, our guest on this episode of Property Invest Story. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinveststory.com.au.